With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in education, among those of us in education and the community beyond on the important education issues today, a conversation that brings state education leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on, on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny, and I'll be your host this morning. A couple of ground rules before we get started. First, we will not be using the chat room feature on the computer today. Uh, and um, if you are interested in calling in, a few things you should know. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. And you press 1 if you have a comment or a question. I will have someone who will be screening the callers. Her name is Christy, so that I can get the names of the callers and the question or topic that you want to discuss. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down the volume on your computer since they are on a different time sequence, and it's a little bit confusing. <coughs> Excuse me. Finally, I will not be taking callers right away, but will in about 10 minutes or so, so be patient. On April 20th, the New Jersey Supreme Court heard oral arguments on the cuts to the school funding formula in this year's current budget. The Abbott Court decisions have been, for the most part, determined how education is funded in New Jersey for the past 20 years. Some hailed as a landmark decision that puts New Jersey public education at the forefront in battling the achievement gaps, and others feel that the Supreme Court in New Jersey has overstepped their bounds. Last week and today, we have dedicated to discussing school funding in the court cases. Last week, we had with us Assemblyman Michael Patrick Carroll from the 25th Legislative District, who is one of those who feels the Supreme Court has overstepped their bounds. Today, we are very fortunate to have with us David Sierra, the Executive Director of the Education Law Center, and who has been the Chief Litigator before the Supreme Court on behalf of the Abbott Districts. Welcome, David. Well, uh, thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. Um, David, before we get into the the current arguments before the Supreme Court, uh, there, there have been critics of the past rulings of the Supreme Court, as Michael Patrick Carroll and many in the legislature. Uh, they believe that the – and the governor, I believe, has also said that money is not the answer and that the Abbott rulings have been a complete failure. Uh, what is your reaction to those critics? Well, there's a couple points there. One is the issue of the court's involvement in this uh, matter, and I think you have to – we have to remind ourselves that um, the uh, uh, court – uh, in the Abbott case, and also it's true in the prior decision in the Robinson case, only got involved as a last resort when the executive and legislative branches, in other words, the governor and the legislature, repeatedly failed to provide uh, reasonable and fair, adequate funding uh, for uh, school children across the state, and in particular, uh, children in New Jersey's um, very intensely poor, low-income communities. So 
you know, it's not as though the court reached out to um, to take this issue on. It reluctantly uh, got involved after, uh, in the Abbott case, after an extensive trial proved that the governor, uh, respective governors and legislat- legislatures, by the way, of both parties, um, mm-hmm. had repeatedly failed to uh, perform their responsibility to set up a funding system which would ensure a thorough and efficient education for the state's school children. Um, so uh, I think you have to view the court's uh, role and its recent role, which is in making sure that uh, there's a proper remedy for that violation. Um, you have, we have to remind ourselves that the court the court is playing an appropriate role for the judicial branch, as the court has described it, the last guarantor of this of the children's fundamental constitutional rights to a thorough and efficient education. So that's number one. Number two is that the uh, argument that money doesn't matter or that somehow the uh, funding that has been provided over the years as a result by the legislature, by the way, and the governor, but in response to court directives, has somehow not made any difference, uh, I think it's just wrong. I mean, in, in, first of all, you know, of course, money alone, just as uh, uh, standards alone or tests alone, are not going to result in um, uh, improved student achievement, um, uh, particularly in our high-needs communities. I mean, no one makes that argument. The court has recognized itself that money has to be effectively used. Uh, there has to be effective leadership, good governance, uh, strong support for teachers, parent engagement and community involvement, a whole host of other factors, particularly in our high-needs districts, to make sure that the funding that's available translates into higher outcomes. So it's a bit of a, a straw man when 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 people argue that um, uh, the money that uh, or funding that we're providing to our schools uh, in response to the court's uh, uh, directives, um, you know, it, it, you know, uh, isn't uh, isn't uh, uh, having any impact. I just think it's the wrong argument. Um, the other thing I would say is that you know, New Jersey, um, New Jersey has done a good job of of uh, adequately funding its schools over the over the last couple of decades. A lot of it has been in response to the court, but some of it has not. And the results are evident. I mean, we have a pretty pretty high-powered public education system compared to other states. We perform well as a state on international benchmarks. Um, we do have certain school districts that have had consistent problems and need um, um, help, and some of, some need a lot of help. So we do have gaps, uh, but those gaps are are narrowing. So I, I think New Jerseyans can take a lot of pride in um in uh in making the investments uh that are necessary in our public education even if they a system even if they were uh sparked by a court decree um, looking at and actually I guess in your first part about the supreme court overstepping their bounds I guess your argument would be that the the legislature and the and the governor from both parties and both were in control at various points have understepped their uh, their authority in that area or their responsibility. Um, but let me switch to something else. Uh, Assemblyman Carroll, and I'm sure you have heard this before, uh, he argued that it doesn't take any more to 
uh, educate an impoverished a child in in poor and impoverished neighborhood than it does anyone else, and that he would favor a system that gave every child the same amount of money, which uh, with maybe the exception of special ed. Um, to a lot of people, that seems fair. Uh, why do you think we need to have help certain students more? Well, look, I mean, I, I don't think there's any serious educator, school finance expert, and most virtually all policymakers, um, uh, both parties, by the way, uh, except for a few people, um, have come to the conclusion over the past uh, 20, 25 years that um, kids are different, and kids in different places have different needs. So what it takes to get a child to meet state academic standards and performance benchmarks, meaning tests, the state assessment tests, to get them to proficiency, um, varies depending on the needs that children have, uh, and they also vary depending on the setting. So if we're going to mandate, as we do in New Jersey, that certain curriculum standards have to be met, um, and we're going to assess uh, uh, so that there are common standards across the state, and then we're going to hold kids to common proficiency benchmarks, we have to make sure, and I think everybody, virtually everybody agrees with this, that the funding that we provide uh, uh, is, is calibrated to address the differing needs that, that children bring to school and the different settings in which they live. So um, it's, it's almost universally accepted that a good finance system, a fair finance system, will provide um, resources, extra funding for poor kids, uh, for poor kids in concentrated poverty, uh, for English language learners, for example, who come to school whose who's, um, who's primary language is not English uh, and have to learn English, uh, students with disabilities, uh, varying types of disabilities, by the way, from uh, speech and dyslexia issues all the way to more severe disabilities. Um, I think there's widespread agreement that it costs, that there are additional programming services and staff that are needed in order to ensure that those children um, uh, get access, uh, uh, equal access to the to achieve the common standards that we're now asking them all to meet. Um, so, so you know the, the 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 idea that all kids are the same and that have the same, you know, come to school with the same uh, 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 advantages or disadvantages or uh, you know come come on in some kind of a blank slate and and um uh, and and uh and you can just resolve that through equal dollars is just uh it's been proven wrong in so many respects. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is that if we went to a system where we handed out equal state aid to every child regardless of where they live, it would take the Jersey school system back into the 1950s. Um uh, because what would happen is is that the districts where there are high concentrations of student need um, we have now in New Jersey over 100 districts now that have uh, student poverty rates of 40% or more. We have um, growing numbers of English language learners, um, uh, not just in, in poor urban districts, but spread across the state who need additional help. And, of course, we have students with disabilities at varying levels in districts across the state. Those needs have to be met. So, um so if we were to go back to a system where everybody just got the same amount of money 
frankly, the, the, the educational system in, a, in our poorest communities would collapse because you'd be pulling out so much state aid that's necessary in order to meet the needs of the students in those districts and then redistributing vast amounts of aid to communities, frankly, that, that don't even have an educational need for it. So it's a it's a completely um, uh, the, that idea I think uh, uh, frankly it's a, it sounds good um, you know on its surface but I think every serious uh, educator legislator policymaker um, uh, 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 parent uh, knows that this is a state system and that we have to make sure they're res- and that we're now asking kids across the state to meet common standards around a common set of proficiency benchmarks, that's what the state is doing now, so that we have to calibrate our resources and distribute our resources relative to student need. The last thing I would say, uh, uh, Ray, is that this is another area where New Jersey stands out among among the nation in terms of providing um, uh, uh, needs-based funding. In other words, we're a state where we do allocate more resources where student need is higher. Contrast that to Pennsylvania, which has one of the most regressive school finance systems in the nation, where if you're in a poor rural district in Pennsylvania, you get substantially less than what you would if you were in a wealthy suburb. Um, so uh, New Jersey has a, a – New Jersey – here's another area where I think New Jersey needs to sort of step back and, and, and congratulate itself, that we're a, we're a state where we do a pretty good job of making sure that all of our children – regardless of where they live, regardless of their zip code or address, um, uh, have the resources necessary to meet the kinds of rigorous standards that we want them to meet to prepare them for uh, the workforce and, uh, and, and uh, college. Um, now, let's just shift to what's before the court now. And uh, Well, the Special Master, Judge Doyne, uh, what was his role and how, did it, and how did that come about and what was the significance of that? Well, I think you have to back up a little bit. You know, um, uh, in in uh, in 2008, the legislature. Well, uh, you really have to go back to 1997-98 when the court, out of frustration, again, with the lack of act, action by the legislature and the executive branch over many years, decided to put in place some temporary funding remedies for the 31 urban districts that uh, where there was found a constitutional violation of the Thurman Fishing Clause. The court invited the legislature back in 1997 to come up with a new statewide funding formula and said if you, that, that would be good for all kids and told the legislature basically if you do that and bring that forward, we will end the special temporary funding remedies that we have for the urban districts. Um, it took the legislature almost 10 years to do that. Uh, but finally in 2008, the legislature, with bipartisan support, by the way, I mean, many Republicans and Democrats came together to support uh, the School Funding Reform Act and enact it into law. We finally had a statewide formula, which took a number of years to put together. A lot of experts were involved. There were public hearings and so forth and so on. Educators were involved. Um, and that formula was then presented to the Supreme Court by the Attorney General, asking the court to uh, accept the formula and eliminate the special temporary funding streams for the urban districts. And that happened in the 2009, uh, 2009 Supreme Court decision. 
uh, after, again, another hearing in front of Judge Doyne, in which it was found that the funding formula, the School Funding Reform Act, was, uh, was, uh, was provided a, thorough, a, a, um, a constitutionally uh, uh, thorough and efficient level of resources for all kids, not just kids in the urban districts. And the court upheld the formula, but it put, on, put in place two conditions. One was they wanted to see, make sure that the formula would actually work in practice because they didn't know how it was going to turn out. They, had a, they, they thought it was really good, and there was a lot of good evidence to support it, but they just wanted to make sure. So they sort of gave it a three-year year trial period, told the state, look, you fund this formula for three years, and then you review it, make whatever changes you need to make, and then we're done. Um, that's what you need to do. Fast forward to 2000, this current school year, which is about to end, but the current school year, and um, uh, Governor Christie proposed a budget which the legislature enacted, which basically um, uh, wiped out the first two years of the uh, funding in the formula and took uh, essentially all the uh, substantial amounts of state aid were cut, um, taking the di uh, school districts in the state back to the pre-formula level. Um, clearly in violation of the court's directive for three years of full funding. So we went back to the court and asked the court to review that and to provide relief since the state had obviously failed to fund the formula, uh, had defunded the formula, substantially reducing the level of state aid almost by 20%, um, and um, asked the court to step in. The court, in response to that, asked Judge Doyne to hold a special hearing again to look at the impact of the cuts on different types of districts across the state. He was given a very specific task, which was, let's see how the cuts have played out. Uh, because the state was trying to make the argument that the attorney general was trying to make the argument that, well, we cut, we cut the school districts, but you know, we're not so sure it had any impact on the quality of education in those districts. So the court said, fine, let's have a hearing on that. And Judge Doyne conducted a, a hearing in which the state was directed to come forward to show essentially that the budget cut, the dollars in aid that was cut from school district budgets across the state, did not affect the district's ability to provide rigorous, the rigorous core curriculum content standards to students. And essentially after the hearing, Judge Doyne found that the cut did, in fact, um, impair the delivery of the core content standards to students in differing types of districts across the state, and he found that the impact was was pretty was most acute on the types of programs and services and academic supports needed by our at-risk students, those students with special needs, kids with disabilities, English language learners, and low-income students. And the cuts were in areas like tutoring for kids who need more uh, extra help, um, uh, after-school programs, more time on task, extended learning time, professional development for teachers, uh, class sizes went up, uh, a whole range of uh, issues that really impacted particularly upon the uh, students who have the most need. So that's what Judge Doyne decided. That all went back to the Supreme Court. The court has that report, it has our arguments, it has the state's arguments, and it now has to decide, uh, A, whether there was a violation in, in making the cut, 
of the court's decision in 2009 requiring full funding of the formula, and B, what to do about it. In other words, what kind of remedy or relief should be provided in order to correct that violation. So those are the issues that are before the court right now. Yeah. Um, now, now there's a lot of things that I, now I, we can get into. Uh, we're talking about David Sierra from the Education Law Center. Um, well, let's talk a little bit. Of, uh, it's related to this because I know uh, Judge Doyle mentioned it. Uh, adequacy, because actually I think you had an issue two years ago with the adequacy level, but be that as it may, um, when he mentioned adequacy, does that affect just the districts that you are arguing for, the Abbott or former Abbott districts, or does it? Are you arguing for the formula for all the all the districts that would be affected by it? Well, you know, we in traditional are are are. are role as counsel in the Abbott case is to the school children in the 31 Abbott districts, but the 2009 decision upholding the formula changed all of that dramatically because the court said that the funding formula was not, uh, wasn't just good enough for the students in the poorest urban districts, but was constitutional for students across the state. And, you know, Ray, the formula is designed to operate not just for a set of districts, one group of districts, but it is built upon the fundamental premise that we need to fund kids the same based on their differing needs all across the state. So if you remember, when this formula was presented by Governor Corzine, by the legislative leaders who supported it, by the Republicans and Democrats who voted for it, the primary argument was that we want to fund um, uh, students, and particularly students with these special needs, these at-risk students, um, with the same types of resources, regardless of where they live. I think you'll remember that, money following mm -hmm. the child. Let's fund at-risk students, regardless of zip code. Let's make sure that at-risk at students, whether they're in a middle-class community, a wealthy suburb, or in a poor community have the same level of resources available to them um, uh, across the state. So the formula was upheld um, for all kids, and it had to be because it really operates that way. It was designed to provide stable, predictable, and equitable funding for all students relative to their student need regardless of where they lived across the state. Um, so um, we were arguing, we are arguing in court, we are very clear about this. We don't want to go back to the special funding streams that had been in place for the 31 Abbott districts for a decade prior to 2007. That's not what we're interested in. We want to make sure that the funding formula, which the court has upheld, is uh, uh, implemented for every child across the state. So we are arguing to the court that that even though we only represent the students in the 31 districts, the formula for them and for all children who have similar circumstances across the state has to be implemented as a unified whole statewide. All right. So, And if it was, then it wouldn't be just the 31 Abbott districts. Um, actually, some of them are probably above adequacy, some are probably below ad adequacy. But it would be – I think there's 205 districts that are below adequacy right now. That's right. I mean, if the formula is uh, – were funded, 
and this is what's infuri- a little bit uh, uh, frustrating by legislators who complain about the formula. Uh, some of them are in suburban districts or, you know, I know um, uh, Senator Darty and people like that from Warren County and, and, and uh, folks from Monmouth and Ocean County complain about it, but they also complain about the absence of state aid you know, the governor's budget cuts, frankly, aid cut last year, really hurt um, middle-class uh, districts su- substantially because um, they don't get a, as much state aid as the poorest districts, and the cuts really fell hard on a lot of these um, what I will call moderate at-risk districts. These are districts with, say, 20 to 40% uh, student poverty, districts like Edison, Piscataway, um, Woodbridge, uh, districts like Clifton, uh, these mm-hmm. are uh, Pensacola. These are districts, uh, uh, Hamilton Township, Mercer County. I mean, you can go all up and down the state. These are the districts that were most severely impacted by the budget cuts. Um, and if the formula were funded, these are the districts that are going to benefit because they were below the adequacy cost level defined by the formula. So, you know, I I just get frustrated by a lot of these legislators who complain about the funding formula and complain about the court and yet seem seem to refuse to recognize that the formula, many of which they voted for, would actually deliver more state aid um, to their districts. Um, The district, the the former Abbott districts, frankly, Ray, are not going to benefit very much from the formula. They'll have stability, though. They'll have predictability. They won't have... Uh, uh, big cuts, but many of them are, because they were spending over that adequacy amount, are not going to see any uh, significant increases in state aid. The real yeah, districts district that will no, benefit from the formula are the middle class uh, uh, districts, the older suburban districts, uh, the districts with growing concent- small but growing concentrations of at-risk students, English language learners, and the like, who were shortchanged um uh uh in the two th- in the in the in the period from two thousand to two thousand seven these are the districts that are going to benefit and I think it's high time that these legislators frankly you know took a moment to look at the formula and look at how it would work and look at how it would affect their districts before they run off and criticize uh the court or anyone else now i I listened to the court proceedings and uh the Christie administration in their argument. Uh, to you would be, uh, well, we don't have the money. We're in a state fiscal crisis. We don't have the money to fully fund the formula, and uh, we have to share the sacrifice. Uh, I think the they use the term stay their hand. Uh, what is wrong with that argument from your perspective? Well, look, I mean, uh, Governor Christie joins a long line of governors making the same argument. Governor Corzine made the argument. Uh, same argument. Governor Whitman made the same argument. Um, uh, you know, Governor Byrne made the same argument. Governor Kane made the same argument. You can go back uh, 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 administration after administration, and every time the issue comes up, do we need to uh, 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 annually about adequately funding our schools, uh, particularly when there's times of fiscal fiscal difficulties with the state. Um, you always get the political argument that, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, it, it's too tough of a fiscal time. We can't 
meet our obligations to our students. So this is not a new argument. Uh, that, uh, and frank, frankly, Governor Christie is, is joining a long line of his predecessors making the same argument. But it's a policy choice, Ray, um, at the end of the day. It's about priorities. It's, it's about the – they have tough decisions to make, the legislature and the governors. Um, um, I'm not trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, make this, uh, make this uh, into something that's easy. But the frank fact of the matter is um, they have to make a policy choice. And when you have um, a situation like this where the court has said this is the level of resources that we have to provide in order to ensure our kids, the minimum level of resources we have to provide to make sure we're making the kinds of investments we need to make in our educational system, which frankly are critical to our economy, our economic growth, our productivity. Um, you know, one of the reasons New Jersey is a high-powered economic state is because we have a fantastic educational system that attracts people here, that attracts businesses here. You know, when you talk to business people, it's funny. You know, you hear about uh, people talk about, oh, we've got to lower taxes. Actually, when you talk to business people about what attracts them to a particular state, number one is the educational system. So, um, uh, but these are policy choices. And, this is, and the situation this year was just a policy choice like it was in prior years. Yes, it was a little bit more difficult, but we cannot allow um, a uh, – we cannot allow – a, uh, uh, those policy choices to trump the um, uh, directives of the court about the level of resources our kids need in order to have a high-quality education. And frankly, they should have funded this formula even if there wasn't a court decision. I mean, I don't understand that, Or uh, uh, frankly. Put the court aside. And let's say the court had nothing to do with this. Frankly, the governor and the legislature last year should have made the tough choice to make sure that the third year of this formula was fully funded. They could have done it. There were things that they could have done to get there. They just didn't want to do it. Um, and uh, I, want to another, oral, I want to make another point oral. about this. You know, governors across the country are doing the same thing. They're all uh, uh, ignoring their formulas and making deep cuts. And you know what? They're making the wrong choice. They're making the wrong choice for their kids. They're making the wrong choice for their states. And they're making the wrong choice for the country. Because unless we uh, uh, come to terms with the fact that we have to provide an adequate level of funding in our public education systems, our 50 state systems across the country, and that that, that requires a lot of tough, hard choices, frankly, even sometimes raising revenue if necessary, then we're not going to be able to do the, uh, reach the kinds of, um, uh, achieve, have the kind of public educational system this country has got to have, and uh, both for, uh, for, uh, to compete in the global economy, to compete in the knowledge economy, uh, and to move, uh, to move the whole country's economic system forward to where it needs to go. Um, Dave, uh, during... Uh the governor has made it clear that he's not going to raise taxes. Revenue is down. Where would the money come from if we had to increase if he had to increase funding to the schools? Because that seems to be what the question is. 
Where would the legislature well, get it from, or is that one of those tough choices they're going to have to make? They're going to have to make a tough choice. Look, there, there, there was there was a tax on the table last year uh, to uh, to uh, 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 you know ask our our highest you know our most affluent uh, 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 citizens to step up to the plate. Um, I think that you know, look, I think if you present it to them, you know, millionaires and 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 multimillionaires that way, that they have to. Sh- uh, 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 you know that the society that's been the state that's been so good to them, and that they benefit from needs a little bit extra now to make sure that our school kids have the resources they need. I think they'll step up to the plate. You know, so there are ways to do this, and um, um, you know, so so you know, yeah, they're tough choices, and they may not be uh, the most uh, you know uh, easiest choice to make. I mean, it's easy to cut. That's not that that that's that's you know that's not. Uh, that doesn't take much uh, political courage to do that. It's a lot harder to say we need to make these kinds of investments, smart investments, in our state and in our in our in our children and in our school systems across the state, and you know ask people to step up to the plate and 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 do their part. But you know there 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 are a lot of ways that this can be done. And you know frankly, Ray, I'm confident that if the court says uh, we've got to we've got to get this funding formula back on track that um, legislators of goodwill in both parties will step up to the plate, uh, work collaboratively, uh, work cooperatively with us, with the school boards association, with your organization, other educational groups, um, business community, uh, to find a a way to do this that makes sure that our educational obligations are met while we meet the obligations of other important services uh, 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 for citizens in the state. You know, you, you bring up, and there's two points I want to get to, uh, that will, everyone will come together. But there is speculation, and the governor hasn't really quelched it, is that if the Supreme Court rules that he has to follow fully fund the formula in some way, uh, that he may not, he may disregard their opinion. Um, where does that bring us? Do you think that is that serious issue? Ready? Let's take it one step at a time. Let's see what the court decision. Uh, you know, uh, 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 look. Uh, uh, you gotta, you gotta. Uh, you know, we've been down this road a few times before. We let's see what the court does. And all I'm going to say is that you know I'm confident that the court's rulings will be respected uh, by the other branches. Uh, that is a fundamental principle of the separation of powers in our democracy that the court has the role of adjudicating uh, fundamental constitutional rights and, and, if necessary, making sure that those rights are effectuated, that they're satisfied, carried out. And, you know, time and time again, the legislature and, the exec- and governors of both parties have stepped up to the plate, even though it was not what they necessarily wanted to do politically. Uh, at the end of the day, they've recognized that not only is it important to because it's a, a – a, um, a decision of the judicial branch, but you know it's just the right thing to do, and so I, you know I'm not I'm not too concerned about that. I think that you know we have to see what the court does because the court hasn't ruled yet. So I, I think it's uh, it's you know it's it's uh, you know uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend a lot of energy talking about that or speculating about that. You know, frankly, it'd be good if everybody just you know uh, dialed it down a little bit. And then we see what the court does, and then we all have to come together as a community. Republicans and Democrats have to step up to the plate 
and say, you know, we've got to make sure uh, that even though we may not like the fact that the court has done this, and you know, um, but that at the end of the day, this is the right thing to do for our kids and for our state and the future of our state. And they'll come together, and, and I'm confident they'll come together and come up with a with a solution that's mm-hmm. uh, that that moves the state forward. Um, Justin Alban came under some criticism and scrutiny for remarks that he made uh, on the proceeding about the millionaire's tax, that the state did have revenue and that they disinclined to continue that revenue. Was that criticism of the justice uh, warranted? I think it was. Let let me just uh, briefly answer that. Uh, I thought it was unfair. If anyone watched the argument, all he was saying was, in response to the state's argument, that uh, that uh, uh, there's uh, you know that the fiscal conditions are so bad um, that we have no way to fund uh, the formula. I think he was just pointing out the point that, that, that these were choices that were made. There were other options on the table uh, in which the formula could have been funded. And at the end of the day, it, it, you know, this wasn't. You know, this was an uh, you know this is not a, a, an economic collapse where the whole state has collapsed. Um, you know, yes, it's a tough fiscal time. Everybody knows that. But I think his only point was that, you know, in response to the state's argument, just pushing a little bit and saying, well, wait a minute, there were other choices that could have been made mm-hmm. um, um, uh, in order to in order to comply with what we had ordered. Um, so so, so I just think I think that's all it was, and I think to take it anywhere beyond overblown. that. Um, and it's part of oral argument. It's part of, look, the state presented this as a defense, and he was just uh, uh, pushing back a little bit and probing, as uh, justices normally do. So I, I think it was, um, I, I think to uh, take it to, to, um, to characterize it any further than that, I think is just, uh, is just uh, uh, you know, incorrect. Okay. Uh, we're talking to Dave Sierra. Uh, the- Call in, dial 1347-989-8904, and press 1 if you have a question or a comment. Um, during the arguments, you made an interesting point. Um, you mentioned that the administration, if they felt they couldn't fully fund it, should have went to the Supreme Court ahead of time, but they chose not to. They chose not to. Why do you think they chose not to, or would that have made a difference? Well, I don't know. I mean, the only point I was making was that was that you know, back a year ago when the governor proposed his budget, it clearly violated the court's directive for that three-year trial period that I discussed earlier. I mean, there was no question about the court's uh, direction that the formula had to be implemented for three years, funded, and reviewed. So that we, we actually tried to get the attorney general. We contacted Attorney General Dow. Uh, by letter, we sent several letters. We tried to appeal to her to 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 uh, to uh, to either do one of two things: to either um, ask the governor and the legislature to re- uh, give them her opinion that the formula had to be funded in the budget and to change the budget, or if um, the administration felt it needed some kind of a um, uh, time out or a, a kind of one year hiatus or some or wanted to partially fund the formula some kind of you know relief from the court's decision you go back and you ask the court for permission um you know prior administrations have done that 
uh, both Republican and Democrat, where there's been a problem, you know, complying. They've brought it up to the court, and the court sort of has worked it out. Now, I don't know what the court would have done in this case. I'm not, I mean, we, we won't know. And I don't know why Attorney General Dow refu- uh, chose not to do that. I mean, that, you know, uh, that's beyond, you know, what I know. But, um, you know, when you have a court order that says it's very clear, it's, it's, you know, it's a fundamental rule of law. If you have a judgment against you, if a court enters a, uh, uh, you know, a judgment that you have to pay money or, you know, or you have to take some action and finds that you have to do that, directs you to do that, you don't just ignore it. It's like, you know, you don't just stop paying your child support if it's ordered by the court, or you don't stop paying a judgment against you for money. If you can't do that, you go back to the court and ask the court for uh, to modify its decision or to or or to to put it on hold. That was the appropriate thing to do a year ago. But you know, as the court, as the justices pointed out to me in the argument, that's now water under the dam, unfortunately, and we have to deal with the situation that we have now. Yeah. Um, am I correct? Yeah, I before I, I gave you the state's argument. Is, is your argument almost? As simply as this, that there's a state funding formula, it's the law. If uh, the state's obligated to fund it as best they can or fully fund it unless they, there's a, a reason they can't, um, and if they don't like the funding formula, they, they should do a new one. Well, look, the, 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 there's nothing in any of the court d- opinions that say, that's the other point, Ray, it's a good point. The court, uh, uh, there's nothing that the court says that the legislature can't change the funding formula. The funding formula is a legislative enactment. It has to be funded every year in the budget. But what it does is it determines the cost of educating kids to meet state standards, the state's own academic standards, um, kids with varying needs across the state, as we've discussed, determines the cost of that and the level of local and state funding in each district uh, to to meet those costs. That's what the formula does, and it gets recalculated every year. Um, you know, look, if the if the legislature or the governor has a problem with the current formula, thinks the costs are too high or too low or it should be adjusted in some way or modified in some way, um, you know, or has a better idea about how to how to calculate those costs and deliver uh, deliver those resources. That's entirely within the executive and legislative prerogative, and there's nothing that prevents them from doing that now. Um, but this is the formula we have, and it was carefully constructed, as the court uh, recognized in 2009, painstakingly developed, as you know, because you, your organization was involved in the six, year, six years it took to put this formula together to figure mm-hmm. out what the appropriate costs were for kids across the state. Um, this is the formula we have, and it was offered to uh, to uh, replace the special remedies that the court had ordered for the 31 urban districts uh, to satisfy a finding of a constitute that they were not that those children in those districts were not receiving a proper, thorough, and efficient education. So, this is the formula we have. The court ordered it funded. The legislature wants to come up with a new formula, fine. But until that point, we have to follow through on it. And again, 
it's not, it's not, it, you know, it is a requirement of law and now a requirement of court order, and that's important. But it's also, again, the right thing to do for our kids. I mean, I, again, I just don't understand why legislators of both parties aren't standing up and saying, you know what, we should find a way to fund this formula anyway. Because it's, it, you know, it was well-developed, it's a good formula, and until we come up with another one, these, this is the level of investment we have to make from year to year in making sure New Jersey's public schools uh, stay among the strongest in the nation. Okay, we're coming to the close of our show. Uh, the Supreme Court, I guess, could rule with the state, could rule fully fund the formula, or can it do anything in between? And what do you like in about 30 seconds? <laughs> well, it's hard. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, the court could, uh, uh, you know, we've asked for a three-year that the sort of three-year trial period start all over again. Um, the court has some flexibility within that and within those parameters. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see, Ray. Okay. Uh, David, thank you for joining me. Um, maybe after we have a court ruling, we'll get back together and talk about the implications of that court ruling. Um, that brings us to a close of another conversation in New Jersey education. I'd like to thank David. Thanks for joining me. Uh, You're welcome, Ray, and I uh, and thanks for having me, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed today's conversation. As I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. And I, our next show will probably be May 20th, and I'll be sending out notices to everyone. Thank you, and have a good day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.